the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I am John. This is episode 169. Yes, 169. And we are doing uh, Avengers issue number 295 from September of some 1980s year. 88. 88? 88. I was in 10th grade, right? Finishing up 10th grade. If it was like this point in time of 1988, I was finishing up 10th grade. I was uh, then probably finishing up ninth grade. Yeah, you you graduated in what? Ninety. Oh, so did I. Oh, so tenth yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I don't have any idea what age I was at any grade. <laughs> I just remember years. That's all. I don't know what age I was. Hey, I meant to ask you, um, and I'm just gonna I'm throwing this out there so our entire audience can. Are are we interested in going to the Baltimore Comic Con this year? I'm always interested in going to the Baltimore Comic Con. It's been fun. It's uh, October twenty second through the twenty fourth. And as it falls right now, my my cross country coaching job, we think that's going to be an off week for us. So okay. there's a chance we can. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Sit this down is there. this is scintillating. We can go get some interviews. Maybe I can be awkward around Walt Simonson, like I was awkward around Steve Englehart the last time we were there. Yeah, that was fun. I like. Yeah, that. it was great. Hey, Steve Englehart, remember those comics you wrote that everyone hated? I didn't think they were that bad. Wait, everyone hated those. <laughs> So horrible. we didn't have an uh, an odd conversation with Tom Palmer because you know he's the anchor. So what do you have to talk to him? Also, he's a living legend. You're like Tom Palmer. What you do, you can do no wrong. Just sign this thing. Wasn't his his son was there too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I feel like someone else is going to be there. Somebody else that we. Uh, oh, I looked at the guest list. I th- it's one of the writers from the uh, from the actual main from this main title. An old writer. Y- yeah, but I can't remember which one it is. I'll have to look at the list and we can. I mean, I would. We can talk about it next week. Yeah, I would love to get one of them to get an actual interview with somebody, uh, especially with somebody we like. Hey, Walt Simonson, so your Avengers run, the weakest run you've probably done in any title. <laughs> so let's forget that. How about your Thor thing? That yeah, cool, let's right? just talk about Thor. He's an Avenger, right? <laughs> this issue is called Beggars Would Ride, which apparently is a reference to something. Yes, if you remember, and you don't, in issue 294, <laughs> that would be last issue. How did you know I didn't remember that? In issue 294, the title was... If wishes were horses. Yes, this is the second half. This of that. is the second half of that phrase. Beggars would ride. Stupid. It is again a Walt Simonson John Buscema joint, and it's a Transformers comic. I think it is very much the cover is Thor fighting Grimlock. Yeah, and the first the splash page is all, like all of them. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Oh, have, they even have the Tyrannodon in there. No, they do have swoop yeah, in there. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, I couldn't remember the other names. I uh, had those Grimlock, Grimlock Slag, sure. He's Sludge, the... Snarl, Ooh. and Swoop. Everyone's an S except for Grimlock. Grimlock angry wasn't he like the Hulk didn't he just talk in like stupid third persons and yeah this is whose voice was that it was a oh I don't know I know that guy's voice Mm. it was this is the kind of talk that people have tuned into an Avengers podcast for Transformers toys in the TV show and the movie he was always an always an idiot total idiot me Grimlock yes in the comics because if you if you looked at his stats on the back of his card he wasn't dumb his intelligence was like 7 out of 10 and in the comic he he didn't talk like in broken sentence fragments, and he actually was relatively well spoken. Because, in and, all honesty, he was an advanced robot. Yes, and he <laughs> and he led the all the Autobots for a while. Oh. Had, he had a little crown he wore. Oh, sweet! Had them call him King Grimlock. It's great stuff. I mean, it's not great stuff. That comic is crap. But <laughs> you we'll, have them all, don't you? I do. We'll talk to right down there. Right there. We'll talk about that when we do our Transformers podcast. Sweet. 
Transformers Tuesdays or whatever. We're is there call a Transformer it. Avengers crossover at some point? Did we miss that? You know, I don't think that there is. The Transformers have crossed over with so many Spider Man no, for I sure. Think there I know is that. a Transformers Avengers crossover. No, I think I've never read it. Really? Don't we have to? Where's that fit in in the continuity? Oh, that would be like in the. It was in if if it happened, it was in like the 2010s, the 2000s. Oh, the 2010s. so we'll never get there. No. We've wasted so much time, um, which, but that's okay because well, because nothing happens in this comic, so at least let's make it interesting. Yeah, I mean, the beginning of the comic for the first four or five pages, it's it's an alternate future where robot dinosaurs are fighting humans, which, quite honestly, comic I would read. And apparently, these humans are used to it. It's like been this ongoing thing. Yeah, what are they called? The Dino Droids? Oh no, a Roboceratops. Yeah. Mm. A Mechanosaurus Rex. That's kind of clever. And then the Tyrannos- <laughs> the Grimlock of this of this the Mechanosaurus Rex. The Mechanosaurus Rex is ported away by Nebula Kang, who is going to use it for skullduggery. Yes, I guess. I I told you when I texted you about this that I was falling asleep while I was reading this comic, so I'm not sure how much <laughs> of this was a dream. When we left off in the last issue, what color was Nebula? She was blue, but she can change from blue to Caucasian. We saw. I this- bring that up because in the next issue, she's blue throughout the whole issue without any explanation. And then the issue after that, she's back to being Caucasian. Okay, so I think here's the issue. Nebula, the one that was created by Roger Stern to fight the Avengers as Thanos' granddaughter, granddaughter yeah, is blue. Right. So when Walt Simonson decided he wanted to use her, she was blue. But she had to turn Caucasian to romance Dr. Druid because I guess she thought he might recognize her. Was he around for that? He was certainly not. I didn't think so. I have no idea why she thought that, but maybe she thought other Avengers would recognize her. Maybe she thought he wouldn't be turned on by a blue-skinned woman. Maybe. But I mean, Dr. Druid would be. Come on. I would hope so, yeah. (laughs) Let's be honest. So my suspicion is that once she's got the Avengers under her power in the last couple issues, she's like, screw it, I don't have to pretend anymore. These people are all in mental thrall, I can just be blue. But it's so awkward because she goes back and forth with no explanation and no sense of like, oh, I need to hide or I need to reveal myself. It just happens. And I'm wondering if it's a colorist error or... I mean, it could be. It could be. I don't think it's that important simply because... It was jarring. I texted you about it because I was confused. That's what was That transition between this issue and the next one. I was like, what happened? I think well, she, there's it's more than that. There's some things that she says that I find weird too. But okay, anyway, so it's this planet where these dinosaur robots are fighting humans. Uh, Nebula takes the Mechanosaurus Rex and ports him into our current uh, Washington D.C., where he starts blasting things. And she's done this because she's, I guess, about had it with Thor. She needs to have him removed from the situation somehow. And I, I didn't understand it. On she she has ported this here so that Thor can fight it. She sucks Dr. Druid, so to speak, into the spirit realm. <laughs> Hold on. Should, should rephrase. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, she does without... I I don't even know what she's doing because he doesn't leave. No, he doesn't. Because he has this whole conversation while he's leading a meeting. It's all mental stuff. So and, mentally, she basically contacts him and says, hey, we've got a robo-dinosaur here. You need to send Thor to stop it. And doesn't he... Like, he's talking at some point and they're like, uh, did you go away there for a second? Yes. Is that in... Yeah, that's in the shoes, right? No. I'm so confused. You know, if you're confused about Nebula's skin color, what they call this group of Kangs in these comics must drive you crazy. Mm. Because in this issue alone, they called it 
Well, first of all, they said Kang Crossroads is where they're based. Then they called it <laughs> the Kang Corps, and then they called it the Cross Time Kang Corps. And sometimes they spell it with all Ks, and sometimes Walt Simonson apparently goes, well, that's a lot of Ks in a row. That's bad. Did they spell it with all Ks? Yes. I, I was trying to catch that to see if it ever happened. Yes, they do it at least once in this issue. And then the next time, the first K is gone, and it's a C. Right. Because the KKK is bad, but the CKK, <laughs> not as bad. No one, one suspect the CKK. One third better. <laughs> In any case, so yes, Dr. George says, Thor, go fight this. I'm giving you a signal, uh, you know, signal watch in case you need help. But you should be able to beat a Dinobot all on your own. Right. Meanwhile, we're back with the Kangs and the Kangs have realized that Nebula is up to no good. And so they're pooling their information, trying to find out what she is up to. We're skipping so much that doesn't matter anyway. It's amazing how much of this doesn't matter. So here's Thor. Thor's fighting a robot. Oh, oh, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. Oh, I'm Thor. Hey, I need some help. Maybe I'll use this thing. Yes, Thor's having trouble with Grimlock. So he uses the signal device to call the Avengers. But Dr. Druid does not want Thor to have help. He wants Thor to die. So he basically kidnaps she-Hulk. Yeah, because the idea is that Nebula is like watching Hostel. Nebula basically says, "Look, you can control Black Knight and She-Hulk's minds pretty easily, but when we tried to get to get Kang, when we tried to get Thor to vote for you for Avengers Chair, he resisted my mental domination. Therefore, it's probably best if we just kill him, just in case he'd rebel in the future." And Dr. Druid, this is where, I mean, there's been so many times in the storyline where you could say Dr. Druid has gone full villain. But I think this is really it, yep, where he yep, basically yep. says, yeah, that's fine. Thor can die. My favorite part of him taking control of She-Hulk, though, is when she's like, she goes into the Quinjet to go rescue or to go help Thor. And she's like, we've got to go. And then she goes, ah, maybe we should just skip it. I never liked Thor much anyway. He's never flirted back like any ordinary man would have. Like, really? Yeah. That's how you judge... Whether someone's worthy of saving? Yes. So yeah, She-Hulk wants to go. Dr. Druid refuses to let her and mentally controls her. He doesn't ha- just do that. He latches her into a chair. Which makes me question, why do the Avengers have heavy-duty shackles built into their meeting room <laughs> It just chairs? looks like an office chair, doesn't it? Yeah, it's what they sit in all the time, but apparently they've got shackles in them. Is that in case Hank Pym got upset during a meeting and went for the Wasp again? Yeah, I'm sure that's when it got built into the system. Maybe it's a case like if the Masters of Evil break in and they go to sit down in the chairs, they'll automatically just kidnap them. Ha <laughs> we got you. Because that's why the Masters of Evil break in. Yeah, they want to they just show off. They're going to sit down and put their feet up on the table. And Whoops, okay. now you're captured. I think they actually may have done that during the Under Siege. And perhaps that's one of the other times they put more shackles in the chair. <laughs> Next time Baron Zemo sits in my seat. Yeah, we'll teach you. So, in any case, we go back to watching Thor fight Grimlock some more. Still not going well for him. I mean, Thor says it's not going well, but there's really no time during this fight where I feel like Thor is in any mortal danger. No, I mean, it's pretty back and forth. Until the dinosaur starts flying, that's not fair. Yeah, Grimlock can't fly. Tyrannosaurus Rex don't fly. Yeah. Back at Kangkor, the Kangs are now searching Nebula's quarters, and they're finding all of this technology that belongs to a bunch of different Kangs from a bunch of different timelines. Who's the Kang with the orange face? Where's that guy come from? Kang Trump? (laughs) They're like, how did you get in here? What the? I still don't understand how the one dude has a goatee on his mask, but whatever. And then the Kangs find a list that apparently Nebula kept. She kept a little black book book. (laughs) of all the Kangs that she had were 
assuming slept with and all the technology she had stolen from them. So, yeah, they find this black book, but it's in code. And they're like, okay, we're going to have to get to the bottom of this. Yes. She's clearly looking for the weapon. I feel like Walt Simonson is just winging this plot. Because they start talking about the weapon without telling us what it actually is. And I'm not sure that they know what it is. I think Walt Simonson knows what it is. Do you? Yes, I do. Because this storyline is continued after this Avengers. In Thor? In Fantastic Four when oh, he does okay. that. All right. So I think he knows what it is. I just feel like he's he's trying to dole out the information slowly. And it's very slow. Mm, yeah. Slower than it needs to be. In any case, so the Kangs are on Nebula's, hot on Nebula's trail. Meanwhile, Druid's got She-Hulk shackled to a chair. <laughs> and Black Knight just realizes this? Hasn't he been in the room the whole time? I'm assuming this is all happening quickly, but maybe not. Black Knight decides he's going to make a break for it. Of course, Dr. Druid is trying to mentally stop him. And while he's doing that, She-Hulk kicks Dr. Druid in the butt, sends him flying, which gives Black Knight enough time to get out of there. And he flies in a Quinjet to Washington, D.C. To help Thor. And Nebula makes her first appearance in the physical world for the first time. Because she's so angry at Dr. Druid for letting the Black Knight get away. So she sends Druid to go find Thor. And I suppose Black Knight. And then she has a conversation with She-Hulk. Yes. At this point, is She-Hulk still mind-controlled or is she just held in place in the chair? Because if Dr. Druid's gone... She's not mind-controlled. She certainly knows who she is. And that, that there's something bad going on here. I, I find it hilarious that Nebula says that, that uh, mystics are the, always the easiest ones to fool. The yeah. people with the mind powers are always the ones to fool. And then She-Hulk thinks because she's a lawyer, she can't get fooled. Come on. Right. So the Black Knight makes it to Washington, where he cuts his way through the bottom of the Quinjet. By accident? Because his hand is slicing through the hatchway. He's holding his sword. Well, exactly. I don't I, understand this. And it's also frustrating. This whole idea that Dane's body is becoming as sharp as a sword is so problematic because it seems to happen when it's convenient for the plot. Like, how would he even be able to fly the Quinjet if his hands are as sharp as sword blades? He'd be chopping off. Yeah, I have that question. uh, Again and again and again through the rest of this plot line? Uh, Well, yeah, particularly, I mean, we see it a little bit here when he ends up in the water and Thor saves him. Like, wouldn't he cut Thor's hand? You, and the next issue, Thor's like carrying him across the country, like hanging onto his hand. And I'm like, wouldn't he cut? His exactly. Hand? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's frustrating because it's inconsistent. Yeah. And also, again, unnecessary. He's got his sword. We see his sword slicing through the Quinjet and then slicing through Grimlock. So why do we have to say his body is also sharp? His sword is there. It's sharp enough. But his body is slicing deep through the metal as well. Like, really? Aren't you just falling? <laughs> Yeah, basically. If the metal's pre-cut ahead of you and you're falling, aren't like. Also, what happens to the Quinjet that Dane flies out of? Because it apparently, uh, it either is now free and has flown away to another <laughs> land to live with all the other feral Quinjets, <laughs> or it has crashed into the ocean or, or downtown New York and well, killed scores of people. He just cut a hole in the bottom. Maybe that has some sort of autopilot and it'll return back to base. I mean, it, it certainly could. I love it how as he's falling out of the Quinchet, he yells, for Thor, for England and good King Richard. Dane Whitman's American. Well, and King Richard has been dead for how many? And I know he spent time in the Crusades and blah, 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 but come on. It's just silly. 
So yes, Thor, uh, Dane Whitman basically cuts the Grimlock's head in two. <laughs> Falls straight through him and right into the ocean. <laughs> but luckily, Thor rescues him, flies down, rescues Dane, and promptly cuts himself on Dane because this is one of the times when <laughs> Dane is very sharp. What? I did but touch his arm and have drawn blood. So Thor basically takes Dane, puts him in an ambulance, says to the paramedics, <laughs> oh, best of luck, guys. Don't touch him. Take him gently to the hospital. It's going to be difficult for them to treat him if they can't touch him. Where is Dr. Druid? Well, I don't know where. Nebula sent Nebula him touched him and it looks like he like disappeared, like he zapped to some other dimension. She sent him away to, uh, to find Thor, but apparently... To lay on a couch? I guess it was just so that he she could have a heart-to-heart with She-Hulk. Because now Dr. Druid is back at Avengers Mansion. He is mentally watching what Thor is doing and basically is saying to the She-Hulk, we'll be ready for Thor when he gets back to the mansion. And She-Hulk is like, yeah, yeah I'm on your side. Yeah, she's immediately mind controlled. That's fair enough. Let's talk about the bullpen bullies. Let's talk about a whole bunch of editors. Is that this one? Yes. I don't care about any of these people. No, they talk about three new editors, Bobby Chase, Terry Cavanaugh and Craig Anderson. The only one that really matters to us as Avengers people is Terry Cavanaugh, who will write some absolutely horrendous issues of this book during the crossing. <laughs> there is a plug for the Evolutionary War, uh, a cross, an annual crossover that we will be talking about in, I don't know, like six weeks or so, mm-hmm. as it hits both Avengers and West Coast Avengers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Bobby Chase has a profile here where she apparently is her own assistant. What? She says that she's, it says assistant editor on and then editor on and she lists all the G.I. Joe books as assistant editor and as editor so is she her own assistant editor on those books well she just got promoted didn't she well that could be (laughs) was she the assistant editor and got moved up in any case I actually liked her answers I found her much more charming than most of the men that I've seen on this page I didn't read it do you want to talk about the letters page I mean, you probably don't, but... I don't think so. See, Charles Novinsky has a letter in there. I feel like we've read his letters before. The, the Mark's remarks is basically non-existent. He ran a letter a few issues ago about the different kinds of letters people send to letters columns. Mm-hmm. And this, he then basically gives the entire letters columns over to responses to that letter. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. No, I don't It has nothing either. to do with the Avengers. The only thing I find interesting and worth talking about with that is that... It's amazing to me in 2021 how important letters columns were to readers in the 1980s because most of those responses are people that are very upset. They're very passionate about the letters being sent to the columns and how editors choose letters and what kind of letters people should write. And and I'm like, now no one cares about letters pages. Well, that was like the only sense of community they had for that comic. It was the message boards of the 80s. That's it. That's the issue. That is it. What did we say we had? Walt Simonson had seven issues to destroy the Avengers? Yes. But it feels like it could have been done in three? Yeah. This this plotline is way too long. The The Avengers Marina plotline, which was three or four issues, I think we said at the time, could have easily been one issue shorter, probably two. And this plotline, which is, I think, four issues long, really could have been two issues long. You can tell that they're trying to drag it out to issue 300 to make yes. it a big anniversary thing. Yeah. It's not an uncommon problem in comics where they always want the big anniversary issues to be huge, giant-sized, and important. And oftentimes you'll find this kind of plot lag so that they can make the big stuff happen. Yeah. At least back in this time. 
It, nowadays, if they'll they'll just start over again, they'll be like, "It's number one again!" Yay! You, that's very true. If this storyline was being done today, the last issue of the book would have been two ninety seven or yeah. two ninety eight, and, and they were just restarted. Yeah, good enough. That's enough to shove into a trade paperback, and now we'll start over again. Well, before we before we leave today, Jason, yes, we have something very exciting. We do. We have fan mail. We have fan mail from from overseas, actually. Yes, this is a gentleman from Germany. His name is Patty Patrick, Patrick Salzer. Patrick Salzer, though he, he signs it Patty. Yeah. He is very nice and very complimentary. And I don't know that I will read it because I feel like that makes us sound like. Oh, I'm totally going to read it. <laughs> I will read it verbatim. Greetings from Germany. I used to listen to you two a few years back and only recently discovered that you're active again. I very much enjoy the new format over the old one. It feels more like reminiscing than recapping, which is more fun for me. Plus, it's easier to follow the story since I haven't read the issues. As a matter of fact, I haven't really read much Avengers or other superhero comics, and especially not that far back. It's the independent comics, that's what they're called, right? Which I usually read due to the consistent creative team, simple reading order, and actual ending. But I also love the MCU. So the curiosity is there, and you guys do a great job of retelling the Avengers history in a fun and engaging way. Thanks, Patty. Uh, What storylines would you recommend to check out, and which ones are your favorites? I'm assuming he means for the Avengers. Yeah, it never even occurred to me that he meant for other titles. Well, he said he's a fan of the MCU, so I thought he meant the movies, which wouldn't be the comics. So, But I suppose it could be other titles. I mean, for the record... I, I know I speak for Jason when I no, say please. we read not just Marvel, but we both read a lot of a lot of non-superhero, non-big two books. Sure. Yeah, we could go on for hours about storylines that don't have anything to do with the Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> so I think maybe we'll keep it Avengers focused. I think we should, yeah. I made a list because, of course, I did because that's who I am. That's what you do. And I'll pretend to remember some of these storylines. I picked at first was picking just storylines we've talked about. But I did pick a few storylines we haven't gotten to yet. But I didn't pick a lot of newer storylines. And partly because I am not as familiar with the new comics, although I have read them. Partly because I really, really hate Brian Michael Bendis's time on the Avengers. And that's like a decade. And Jonathan Hickman's time on the Avengers. I know a lot of people love it. I think Jonathan Hickman is a brilliant plotter. Don't. And not a great person for characters. Uh, I don't think he can characterize characters. Really? I really don't. I don't. When think- he gets Sunspot and Cannonball onto the team, they're hilarious together. They're fun. They're also in... I mean, they're, it's the difference between comics that come out now versus these comics, the comics that we've been reading. Where I feel like the comics we've been reading, one issue generally flows pretty well into the other. And Jonathan Hickman's comics I find very disjointed. And while I enjoy the Cannibal and Sunspot scenes, they often feel like they have very little to do with anything else that's going on around them. And I feel like that's not just a Hickman problem. I feel like it's more of a, of a, of a current comics problem. Especially with team books. Especially with team books that have a lot of different characters that have their own titles. I mean, the other problem, of course, is that the Avengers, once the, once the movies became popular, they became central to every Marvel event. Yeah, and I... I, we, I dropped out of comics like for monthly reading a decade ago, probably. And trying to come back now and grab some trades to catch up on the Avengers, like Hickman's stuff or uh, Alice Cott's stuff for Secret Avengers or uh, um, Nick Spencer did a run, I believe. It's hard to f- to put them in a chronology yes. and it's hard to keep up with who's on which team because they explode. There's like seven or eight different titles. It was really nice that 
from from the time, really from the time that the Avengers launched in 1963 up until like 2007, 2010, 2011, the Avengers sold fine, but it was never one of Marvel's main titles. And yeah. that was good because it really meant that the team was often ignored. If they were peripheral parts of most events. And like I said, once the MCU became popular and the Avengers movie became a hit, Marvel decided every book needed to be an Avengers book. Yeah, it was like the X-Men. It was like Back the Back in the 80s and 90s. And there's a reason why I didn't particularly care for the X-Men, especially during the 90s. So anyway, I don't have a lot of newer Avengers on my list. Those comics are not bad. Some of them are good. Some of them I enjoy quite a, a lot. <clears throat> but they just weren't what I was thinking of when I was thinking of my favorite storylines. Okay. However... Those that have listened to our podcast for a while know that the really old Avengers comics from the 1960s and 1970s are not always my favorite. I have one Roy Thomas issue that I think is I think is good. It's Avengers number 57 from Roy Thomas and John Buscema, and it's the first issue that the Vision shows up. 59? 57. Oh, that's right. He appears in 57. Yeah. I like that issue. I think it's actually effective. In fact, I, I would argue it is one of the first effective, truly effective issues in the entire Avengers run. So you're going to pick single issues? We're going to do single issues? No. I would I'm also, going to go with, what is it, 196, where Taskmaster first appeared? I was just, that's on my list, but I would go 194 to 196. Sure. The, that's with the Ant-Man, right? Michelinie and Perez issues with Ant-Man and the Taskmaster. Those are great, great issues. Yes. I would also pick 229 and 230, which is Roger Stern's, some of his first issues on the title, when they finish up the whole... Hank Pym beats his wife and is a supervillain and is kidnapped by the Masters of Evil and gets kicked out of the Avengers. The ending of that story, I think, is really good and effective. I'll give you that. I think we'd both pick Under Siege. Of course. 271 to 277. I would also pick the third volume of the Avengers, issues 19 to 22, which are Kurt Busiek and George Perez, and it's their Ultron Unlimited storyline, which I think is the best Ultron has ever been used. Also, the best Justice in Firestar will ever be used. Also, really, I don't remember any of those. Really cool for Thor and the Black Panther as well. Okay. Take your word on that. Do you have anything with Morgan Le Fay in it? Uh, no, I thought we were picking the good storylines. <laughs> I would pick any storyline that the Great Lakes Avengers are in. <laughs> I love the Great Lakes Avengers. I think they're always fun. Do you have anything with Proctor in it? No. I, as much as I like the 90s Bob Harris written Avengers more than most people, I don't know that I can recommend them wholeheartedly. All right. Do you have any Avengers crossover stuff? JLA Avengers. Oh. It's four Is issues. Is that the George Perez? And... It's George Perez and Kurt Busiek. And it's four issues that, quite honestly, both don't need to know any history and need to know all the history. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's obviously off in its own little timeline, and yet it draws on like every character that's ever been an Avenger or a Justice Leaguer, but I'm a huge geek. The art is beautiful. If I recall, that's basically one of those team up uh, like a Marvel guy against a DC guy, and they have to fight to like get like some sort of relics or something. It, at times, they're fighting each other. At times, they're working together. Okay. It goes back and forth throughout the four issues. I also would recommend, I don't know if it's a team-up or not, but a Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers. That's I, lots of fun. I is, guess that counts. Is it an Avengers book? I don't know. It's got Avengers in the name. It does. I'll give you that. What about you? I did like, I think I read the whole thing. The uh, Avengers Arena series that Dennis Hopeless did. That is really good. Again, much like Lockjaw and the Pet Avengers, not really any of the Avengers we would N think of no. as Avengers, but it's a good series. Some younger kids, some new characters. 
And then the people that's it's like based in like arcades murder world and the people that survive that then go on to try to infiltrate the masters of evil. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. I would also, if you want to... And you can get those in trade. In fact, I think there's actually an ultimate collection you can get. There's only like 18 or 20 issues, isn't there? Well, there's Avengers Arena and then it goes to Avengers Undercover is the sequel. And I think it's all collected into one volume. If you want to read Silver Age Avengers, rather than reading the Stanley and or Roy Thomas issues, I recommend Joe Casey and Scott Collins' Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It's an eight-issue limited series that you can pick up in trade where they kind of retell the Silver Age stories but try to make them make sense. There's a sequel, Earth's Mightiest Heroes 2, which is another eight issues, which moves further along the Avengers timeline and is also tries to make sense of things like Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne's wedding. Which there's no sense to be made of that. Do you? I. It's not a comic per se, but don't you have the books, the Avengers Assemble? Is that what they're called? I didn't. You mean the the Busiek Perez ones? No, no, no. It's not a comic. It's those uh, those books of essays by the people that used to run that uh, website. I do have that. Uh, it's at least I think I I did. It's over there with the with the prose stuff. Oh, you have a separate a separate section for your prose materials. Yeah, I segregate my bookshelves. I'd also recommend Young Avengers. I'm a huge Young Avengers fan. I think it's a great team, especially the first series that Alan Heinberg wrote and Jim, Jim Chung drew. Gorgeous art, fun series. The next series was what? Uh, Gillen and McKelvey, right? And that was also very good. Of, of course, it's, you know, Gillen and McKelvey, of course, yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think that's a lot. That's a lot. That's I'm, just Avengers stuff. <laughs> well, the problem is, Patty asks both, what would you recommend to check out and which ones are your favorites? And all the ones I've mentioned are my favorites. All they are they all good to check out? I mean, if you don't have a lot of history in the Marvel universe, probably not. Yeah. The older ones, yes, because older comics were written for theoretically anyone. So even if you haven't read a lot of comics, you should be able to follow along. But the newer ones are so steeped in continuity, and they just don't explain things. Well, that's the good thing about the Avengers Arena stuff is that, that like is we talked, it's a lot of newer characters. I know it's not Avengers related, but it's Avengers adjacent. If you wanted to pick up the the collected edition of Squadron Supreme, the twelve issue maxi series. That's a it's a good read too. It is a very good read. First of all, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we are now doing the podcast only for Patrick Salzer. He's our only Okay. He's he's Fair he, he gets to to dictate everything we do at this point in time. He's our number one fan. Sorry mom. <laughs> if anyone else wants to be our number one fan, they need to also write us an email. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you saying? We're just going to do whatever he wants now? That's right, whatever he says. But I would also be curious to know what else he reads. Because, again, I do enjoy non-Marvel comics. Oh, yeah, he did mention that he likes independent stuff. I am a huge fan of Stan Sakai's Usagi Ojimbo. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of pretty much anything Matt Fraction writes, especially Sex Criminals. I read anything that Ed Brubaker does. Oh, Ed Brubaker's great. Greg Rucka is a huge... I love Lazarus. Uh, Paper Girls. Uh, Oh, Brian K. Vaughn. Brian K. Vaughn, yeah. Brian K. Vaughn is great. Paper Girls and Saga and... So yeah, I'd be curious if anybody, feel free to write. I mean, you don't just have to write to us about the Avengers. We can make this podcast about whatever we want it to be. We know comics. We know we know lots of comics. Yeah, we do. All right. We should stop this now. Yeah, I and guess. get back to the Avengers. So that was a, a reader email. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can send us an email yourself. Uh, AvengingHour at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at AvengingHour. As always, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.